Welcome to the Access VFX podcast, pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness and opportunity in VFX, animation and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects animation and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. Hello, I'm Simon, founder and director of Access VFX, and welcome to season two, episode 17 of the Access VFX podcast. For our 17th episode, I met with Noga Allenstein, visual effects producer at Milk VFX. It was great to reconnect with Noga, who I had the pleasure of working with way back in the day for a Be Bold for Change International Women's Day panel event back in 2017. There's some great stuff in this episode. We discussed growing up in Israel, how her love for low-budget British cinema attracted her to a career in VFX production, working with her hero Danny Boyle, another chat about June, and the game-changing impact home and hybrid working has had on the mums and dads of the industry. And it's another bona fide classic. Anyway, enough from me. Get in a comfy chair, grab your beverage of choice, and we very much hope you enjoy episode 17 of the Access VFX podcast. Hello and welcome to the Access VFX podcast, season two, episode 17. It's me, Simon, and our guest today has been in VFX production for 12 years and going strong. With a career that kicked off with a short stint at New Black Films in 2010, closely followed by an 11-year tenure at Union VFX, working away up from production coordinator to VFX producer, working on such titles as The French Dispatch, Trainspotting 2, Three Billboards, Stan and Ollie, and Operation Mincemeat. There are loads. Check out her IMDb, as I did. That's where I do all my research. IMDb and LinkedIn, that's pretty much it. Also, uh, she's no stranger to discussing her position as a woman in VFX and is regularly asked to appear on panels to address gender diversity head-on. Now visual effects producer at Milk VFX, it's the brilliant Noga Allenstein. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Noga. How was that intro? Hi. Pretty much sums up my, uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. But it's great well to be reconnected. And uh, you've obviously been very busy since uh, we last connected and um, and you're now at Milk VFX. How's that all going? Uh, yeah, it's it's going great. Um, it's, it's a lovely company, lots of um, talented and, and nice people. Um, and we have a lot of interesting projects. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty full on, uh, like probably everywhere else in this industry, uh, which is quite nice after um, the quiet year and a half we had during the epidemic. Yeah, we're definitely trading in extremes at the moment, aren't we? It's so busy at the moment. There's not enough people to do the work, which is the word on the street. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's a uh, yeah, but you know what? Uh, it's it's a good it's a good thing as well because a lot of people are getting opportunities now which they would never have um, a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. No, that's very true. That's very true. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be taken from the, uh, the war for talent. And I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, with all the work we're doing at Access VFX as well and engaging the next generation coming up and getting people connected to the, uh, feels like a, almost a new era for VFX post pandemic, you know, like there's the virtual production that you'll be no stranger to Noga, which we can talk about as we get into the, uh, the podcast and, and all the new, the new skill sets that we're having to, to adopt um, post pandemic as well. So you're on the podcast. You've listened to a few, as discussed earlier. So uh, you're no stranger to the uh, the famous Access VFX Vault, as we call it. Um, so are you are you ready to get stuck in, Noga? Should we should we should we kick off? How are you feeling? Uh, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's do it. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I'll open the vault and dive into sh- you know, the first question, which is a nice easy one, which is where in the world are you and where did you grow up, Noga? Um, so I live in Broccoli, southeast London, and uh, I grew up in Israel. Brilliant. So straight to the point there. Excellent. But how's Broccoli? How long have you been in Broccoli? Uh, probably, uh, for, I want to say four years now. Yeah, loving Broccoli. Love a bit of Broccoli, me too. And um, and Israel, so I grew up in Israel. So what point did you move over to the these fair isles? Uh, I moved in, I want to say, 2001. Yeah, so I've been here uh, forever, but I can never get mm-hmm. rid of the accent. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, but uh, definitely a, a long time, all my adult life, really. Brilliant, brilliant. And what what brought you to uh, to the UK? 
click I'm assuming not dreams to become a visual effects producer well close enough I wanted to work in uh, in cinema I wanted to do films and uh, and growing up I really loved um, oh, okay. British cinema I used to go to all the like exciting uh, sort of screenings uh, of uh, low budget uh, British films and that sort of thing um and and yeah and when the opportunity uh, came in I I moved here as, as fast as I could <laughs> awesome that's quite refreshing to hear that actually because it's normally the lure of uh, Hollywood movies that, that get people into this industry rather than um low budget British movies what were the low budget Brit- British films that inspired you when you when you when you came over I guess nothing really in, in uh, like the, there wasn't anyone in in particular, but uh, funny enough, like Danny Boyle, uh, which uh, it didn't take me long to start working with, um, thanks to Union and um, uh, and Mike Lee and um, Roger Michel and um, Stephen Frizz. Um, yeah, there's there's so many talents here. I do appreciate a good Hollywood film. I wouldn't say I I, I don't, but. Uh, uh, story-wise, I think a lot of the really interesting stories are being told in, um, in films such as that. Yeah, and uh, like you said, um, you know, Union is a great place for, uh, for, for good British content, right? Like, you know, like Danny Boyle, for example, it must have been really lovely to work on a lot of his, his shows. Yeah, he's, he's a, a lovely, lovely person, uh, as well as a huge talent. Um, um, and, and Milka doing that as well. Uh, uh, I'm currently finishing off um, The Swimmers, which is a working title film. And uh, and that's definitely one to uh, watch out for. It's very strong. It's doing, I think it's going to do really well. Brilliant. So when do you deliver on that? This Thursday. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we've been... You still made time to do the podcast. Thank you. That's why it's over lunchtime. <laughs> well, we're uh, looking forward to hearing more about The Swimmers. It's nice you're able to talk about a show because I do a lot of these podcasts where uh, it's all NDA'd and it's uh, it's all shrouded in mystery. So it's uh, it's cool that we get to talk about a show that you're working on currently. Well, this good luck this Thursday and uh, you won't take up too much of your time, Noga. So, um, so yeah, so grew up in Israel and, and came over to uh, the UK in 2001. So moving on to our next question, which is around inspiration, is what inspires you, Noga? What are the... What gets you out of bed in, in the morning and, and gets your juices flowing? Um, I guess I would say um, good people um, and, and good stories and, uh, and a good weather. Um, that means a lot to me lately. Um, I, what I mean with good people is, is to have that um, environment, environment around you uh, that's creative and, and positive as well. Um, which you can really thrive in. Yeah, it's a big one. It comes up a lot as well, the uh, the people piece in terms of inspiration. But I love how you've kind of uh, brought in good people, good stories and good weather. Yeah. How important is the weather? Well, you know what? It was never important to me before lockdown, but I think uh, I know <laughs> who would imagine I say good weather for living in the UK. But actually it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I ever noticed the weather that much before covid hit us but then every good day was a good opportunity to go outside and like reconnect and breathe properly um and and i think until now even though things are returning normality it, i still find it useful and inspiring um to just be able to you know pop to the park and and get some greenery in front of me and breathe some air yeah, I've never really thought about it like that, but it's a really good point. I mean, you've mentioned good people and good stories, which we talk about a lot on the podcast whenever we talk about what inspires you. I think everybody says people, and rightly so, because it's about collaborating and working with great people and being inspired by each other um, and storytelling as well. I mean, we're in the business of storytelling. And I've never really thought about weather being important because, you know, pre-pandemic, we we're all in our studios, the concrete jungle of London, pretty much, or any city potentially. And um, never really thought about the weather. It never really impacted me. But yeah, you're right. You, you know, I like my lunchtime walk when I'm working from home and um, my view's better in terms of where I live, you know. So I've never really thought about it. But yeah, it's definitely a product of um, of, of the pandemic, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it, sometimes it could be a make or break of a day, really. Just having that ability to stop and, and uh, yeah, to pause and, and walk away from your computer. And obviously if it's, pouring down you wouldn't <laughs> yeah but from a mental health point of view i think um you know make, making time to step away is, is is huge isn't it just to kind of 
get that fresh air to take a bit of a step back from what you're working on to you know regroup your thoughts and and come back come back fighting right yeah um i've realized that i've just committed a a major access vfx vault crime in that i've missed question two i went straight to what inspires you and i didn't ask you about the three words that describe you noga i'm so sorry i'm going to be it's the first time that's happened in 17 episodes um <laughs> so we're going to rewind and ask you for the three words that describe you noga um i would say um energetic and uh, strong-minded and and short <laughs> i hope that doesn't mean short as in curt but short as in literal height <laughs> short as in uh, as in a meter and a half <laughs> <laughs> which you can't see on all the okay. Zoom calls, but, but people are well surprised when they meet me in person. <laughs> well, uh, you, you have tall person energy, Noga, for sure, on the podcast. Um, so energetic, strong-minded, and short. So uh, we've already discussed short. I'm not going to spend too much time on your, your actual height, but um, energetic, you know, where, where does that come from? Why, why are you energetic? Is it, is it an occupational thing or is that just your personality? Uh, I think it's a personality, but I think it's a personality trait that um, is very suitable for production. Um, you need to have that sort of upbeat personality to, to keep a show going, to keep you know, everybody positive, even when things get tough, um, to keep on smiling, even if, um, you know, the client is terrible. <laughs> um, so to have that good energy um, is, I think it's a strong trait to have when you're uh, in this line of work. Yeah. How are you finding that during, I mean, I, I keep talking, I, I talk about the pandemic a lot, but I guess we all do, right? Because we're all working through a completely different hi hybrid lens. Uh, and I've always been interested in the idea or the cliche, I guess, that to be a producer, you've got to be this big extroverted, like you say, energetic, strong minded, direct person to keep a project or show on track. How are you finding it predominantly from home or how did you find it when it was 100 percent from home? Was that a challenge for you? It is a challenge. Um, it was just it, I think it probably took time to adjust um, because it was always about meeting people in person and, you know, putting everyone in the same room and. You know, but we all adjusted um, and a lot of good things came out of it. Um, and I think a lot of it is down to trust. If you trust your team, you don't really need to be in the same room with them. Um, you can connect as we all learn through um, video chats and um, it's just a different kind of energetic. But there is a lot of, yeah, I think I think I learned that even doing dailies or, or client meetings, um, in the individual world um, meant that we're all looking at the same thing at the same time, less distractions, which actually was quite beneficial to a lot of projects. Yeah, so you felt probably got more focus then. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. I mean, you do get the odd, you know, technophobe that you spend half of the, half of the call trying to explain how to unmute, but it's less and less so these days. Yeah. Do you, do you find that it's an improvement then? I mean, I'm just, I'm really interested in the positives that have come out of, you know, the last two years and how we've all had to adapt. Do you think from a production point of view that you're more, I mean, we've mentioned focus already, but do you, do you feel like you're a more effective producer? Is that fair to say? Um, actually, I have a lot to say about this. Um, I did think you're gonna, um, we're going to touch on it later, but uh, I'm happy to um, to talk about it now. I think the the ability to work from home opened a really big um, window of opportunity to a lot of people, especially um, to to us with families, to um, to the to the moms and the dads of the industry, um, to have that flexibility when you need to, so you don't spend, you know, an hour commute each side, and you don't have to rush home um, and stop your day. Uh, I'm able to basically pause my day go and pick up my daughter from nursery, go home, make dinner together, you know, do the whole bedtime story routine, get her to go to sleep. And then if needs be, I can go back and do some more work. So so to have that flexibility, and I don't know if all the studios are like that, but uh, both at Union and at Milk, I, I had that opportunity and I had that flexibility. I think made me a better producer um, and I didn't feel as guilty as I would before. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I've mentioned this on the podcast before as a, as a father myself and used to kind of, if I had to do a, 
a kid related activity on the morning, whether it be a, a school run or there might have been a, a school performance or something I wanted to attend and you'd always walk in to work the next day and it might have been all in my own head, but you used to feel guilty. You used to feel like you were a bit of a part-timer and, and actually for, for those with families, it's been a real blessing, isn't it? In that, you know, and having that flexibility means that you're more engaged in your, your work. Yeah. If you remove the guilt, you remove all of the, the trappings of that negative side of it, actually, again, you become more focused, you become a better, whatever producer, artist, HR person, you know, I think that's a, a really, really good point. Uh, I love, I love your, 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 your point around being able to pause your day, you know, just to stop and do something that's super important, like pick up your daughter from the nursery or, you know, perform some kind of activity, bedtime stories. Um, you know, I never got to read bedtime stories to my kid for five days a week, pre-pandemic. I'd literally be a weekend dad, not out of choice. It was out of necessity. And I think, uh, yeah, you, you raise a really, really strong point there. Yeah. And I mean, if you, if you think about it, even the, you don't have to live in London now, there's a lot of options for people out there. If they want to move to the countryside, if they want to go back to live next to their parents, if they, you know, want to live abroad, um, there's so much more, uh, I'm using the word flex- flexibility again, but yeah, so many options that you didn't have before working in visual effects, because if you would say that five years ago, people would say you have to work in the studio Particularly with production, right? But it was always the fear that um, the, the 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 client wouldn't accept it. I remember when uh, pre pre pandemic we were talking about flexible working, and it was always this fear that you know if, if the, the the client didn't know where you were, then the whole show would fall apart. You know, and actually being thrown into that pandemic situation, everybody had to adapt. So we've come out the other end. I think a better industry in many ways. Yeah, I, th- I think it contributes so much to to the mental health as well. Not being under that constant pressure of you're not doing well enough at home or you're not doing well enough at work. Um, it definitely helped the balance in my life. I think. Excellent. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to this subject. Is it's super super interesting, and I'm sure you've got more to say on it as well, Noga. Um, so, question four in the vault is um, interestingly explain what you do for a living to an alien? Um, so I uh, cost and schedule magic. Uh, I then manage a, a team of artists um, Ooh, like to make this a, a reality so we can all watch it on a big screen and enjoy ourselves, more or less. I love that. I love that. I think we can all, yeah, I mean, I strong start there. Cost and schedule magic. That is literally what we do, right? I think that's brilliant. So I'm going to move on swiftly from that because I can't, I can't, I can't build on that. It's too good. Is um, what um, what made you choose the, uh, the university or college that you went to that where you where you learned your craft? Um, so actually, I was meant to study in in Tel Aviv University. Um, I already enrolled in um, to the filmmaking department, and then I came here for a trip. And I was having too much fun, so I, I didn't want to come back. And and so I st- I stayed in England and basically continued to have fun, found a job, uh, that sort of thing, just to um, stay here and live here. And then at some point, my friend just told me, you know, there's a there's a limit to how much fun you have. You need to think about the future. And then she sort of pushed me to start studying where she did, um, and I enrolled uh, with her help to. Um, to a film and media BA in, in Birbeck College, um, which was a very, yeah, it was very nice um, degree to do, um, I think. It gave me, yeah, I really enjoyed doing it. I like that. And you needed a friend to, you know, stop, stop you having too much fun to focus on your future. We all need a bit of that. Yes. She's going to hate me saying that. I might not tell her. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it's important. My, I mean, I, I had that years ago and I've been talking like late nineties when I worked in a bar after university and I was enjoying that far too much. I almost became a bar manager, nothing against bar managers, but it was my mum who just said, look, you need to focus on what you want to do and, and pretty much kick me out of the house to, uh, to, to, to get on with the, the, the career plan. So we all need a bit of uh, real talk in our, our lives for sure. Um, I've just realized, Noga, that I've missed another question again. I've never done this. I'm, absolutely, I'm all over the place. I'm absolutely all over the place. I didn't ask you after the alien question, um, 
what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to to be a writer, a, a scriptwriter. Oh wow! So um, so yeah, as 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 a as a kid, I remember writing stories all the time, uh, and it sort of stayed with me all the way to university. So when uh, when I studied um, at the University of London, I uh, I uh, I majored in screenwriting. Um, but I never pursued it, uh, as you can tell, because we're, we're talking about visual effects, not about my uh, nominated uh, script. Um, nominated script? On, on my, no, no, I'm just <laughs> so thinking, like, in parallel, the university would have uh, interviewed me for uh, winning an Oscar for best script. <laughs> um, but on my on my last year at uni, I had uh, a really interesting course um, that was focusing on animation. Um and it reminded me how much I liked it. So I, as soon as I finished my BA, I, I went on to study a diploma in animation and mainly focus on Maya, which sort of okay. fears. Um, yeah. So I pushed on to this uh, industry instead. So Maya kind of sucked you in to the visual effects industry. Like, it, like yeah. it's done for many, many people. Yes, though as you can tell, I'm not I'm not a Maya artist. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm sure there's a bit in there, um, but that's that's cool. Yeah, actually, that kind of links up quite well. I'm quite glad that I mixed up my questions now because there's definitely more of a narrative arc to that answer, thankfully. So, scriptwriter, that would have been cool as well. I mean, again, it speaks back to your love for stories, right? And and, and why you work in the industry, and why we all do. So that's uh, that's great. So. Uh, moving into industry then. So we've talked a lot about growing up and the stuff you wanted to do and the colleges that you went to. How did you break into industry? So you've touched on, you know, the course and, you know, and discovering Maya, but what would you consider to be the big break for you, Noga? Um, as you mentioned on, on my intro, um, I started as a runner in a, in a small production company called New Black Films. Um, and they, uh, they did like sport documentaries. Okay. And then uh, after that, I moved uh, to start as a production assistant at Union. And then I got stuck there for a very long time because, uh, <laughs> again, I was having too much fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nothing wrong with that. There are worse places to be stuck, right, for 11 years. And you worked on so much stuff. Like I, when I was doing my, um, uh, my research on IMDb, um there's just so many so many shows on there it's insane like it's really hard i always i always think the, the strength of a great craftsperson in this industry is just looking at the stuff you've worked on and and finding it really hard to cherry pick uh the shows to, to name check in your intro because there's just too many great shows you must be really proud uh, i am and uh, i guess I, I never thought about it as having a lot of credits because um I sort of imagine that most people working in our industry have this sort of quick turnaround because usually posts will be, unless it's a very VFX heavy show, the post is about three months. And, and as a producer, you work on several shows at a time. So yeah, the numbers do add up at the end. Um, but yeah, definitely um, the, the amount of shows I worked on made it really hard to, to answer your next question. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was just going to quickly ask about the big break. How did you discover New Black Films? How did you get that break as a runner? You know what? I don't even remember. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. <laughs> did I did I answer an ad? I don't know. I can't remember. Um, that's funny. <laughs> if it comes back to you, please interrupt me because I mean I have got all the questions mixed up anyway, so I won't be offended if you uh, you throw in throw in a random comment. Um, okay, so let's keep that narrative arc going then. So we've talked about IMDb. Um, out of those shows, out of those jobs, what would you consider to be your favourite? Um, so yeah, as I said, that's a really tough one um, uh, because I'm like a proud mama when it comes to my projects. Like I'm always really, um, you know, I love them, each each and every one of them, yeah. uh, even if they were hard. And uh, at the end of the day, just remember yeah, the good times. Um, hmm, totally. Uh, pick one though. Yes, okay, I'm picking one. The opening ceremony uh, for the 2012 Olympics, uh, just because it's so different from anything else I've done. Um, it was it was a lifetime adventure, and it, it was amazing. It was it was crazy. It was very full on. We worked really long hours, uh, and I got to work with lots of talented people from all across the board. So not just VFX. Um, and uh, and the end product was beautiful and inspiring and it was Danny Boyle again, right? So back yes. to Danny Boyle. Yeah. Um 
yeah, he was he was like such a driving force there. It was unstoppable, um, proper man of vision. Um, we did the so Union did the previous for the whole opening ceremony, so it was very um, all very secretive. Um, and of course, and we did some uh, short films, and I think probably everybody just remember or mainly remember the Queen parachuting with James Bond. Yeah, um, that's the big one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was very very interesting job to have, and, and don't think I'll ever have that experience again. Well, it's the second time we've had uh, the opening ceremony mentioned on the podcast because we had Mark Pinheiro on a few episodes ago, who also worked on on the. Um, on the previous, I think as well. So you probably crossed paths during that uh, that that time. Yeah, he was a he was a compra. Actually, I haven't listened to that uh, yeah. episode. I'll, uh, I'll check it out. Yeah. What did he say? Only three, <laughs> three episodes. It was all positive. It was all positive. It was his favorite job, probably as well. Um, but yeah, you should check it out. It's a good it's a good episode, as as they all are. But uh, yeah, definitely check out Marks if you're not already. Um, so that's a great answer, and uh, yeah, I like that it's uh, it's not your your usual VFX show. You know, it's quite it's a piece of history, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Naga, what would you consider to be the most challenging job? We've removed the, 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 the term worst job. We're not talking about being negative. It's more about what challenged you, what pushed you to the nth degree. Um, I guess I can't really pinpoint a specific job as a being like mm-hmm. challenging or, or worst or horrible, but... Um, it's usually the the people that will make or break a project. Um, so I had um, like I do remember like a couple of incidents that I remember as being really challenging or like. Um, so I had a a post supervisor um, once who I think it was during delivery and she basically called me and um, and yelled at me on the phone and she was totally inappropriate. Um, and it just made me break down and, and cry in front of everybody in the office. And I just, I still remember, like, even though it was probably at least eight years ago, I still remember that feeling sick to my stomach sort of feeling that you just like, you can't breathe. Um, so that's probably was like the worst challenging bit to just like being so raw and exposed in front of everyone. But I think probably today I would have handled it so much more easily. I was just a very new to producing and um i'll probably just hang up the phone today <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly vote with uh yeah vote with the uh end leave leave the conversation it's all on yeah teams, but it? yeah all, all is well at the end of it we're uh, we're actually still good friends in good terms <laughs> yeah good yeah i mean i'm not not making excuses for it i mean it, it, yeah, they, you know tensions can run high i guess during these um these shows and uh, it's just a shame you had to experience that firsthand because it's not nice I've been there myself and it is, it's a shame you often kind of, you know, they stay in your memory, don't they? These, those experiences and they should be literally water off a duck's back. So, um, yeah, I won't ask you to name the show there. That would be, uh, that would be very inappropriate and, um, and unprofessional of me. So let's move on to, um, the kind of VFX hero. Do you have a VFX hero? And this can be somebody like in the public eye from history. It could be somebody you work with or you have worked with, you know, who do you consider to be a hero? It's a really strong word, hero. Um, I think um, I I probably owe everything I know to to Tim Kaplan, who who showed me the ropes. From you know, he mentored me from a, a wee assistant to to a producer at Union. Um, and and I do remember, like my first year, I was looking up to him and hoping maybe one day I'll 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 be like him. Um, I don't know if that's a good a good enough answer. Great I one. guess it's a great one. I know Tim well, and yeah, it's uh, yeah, right. I think he, yeah, I mean, it, clearly he's probably a hero to many at Union. Uh, yeah, uh, I I hope so. Well, he he's to me. Um, yeah, I guess maybe I should have said. <laughs> I should have said. Um, we, because that's definitely not being discussed enough times. Is um, you know, every every mum in the industry who actually manage mm-hmm. um, a yeah. work life balance because I struggle with it every day. So it's just so hard. Yeah. yeah, no, I hear that. I think yeah, I mean that's a lot of lot of heroes, but all all right, rightly so. I think it's a so it's, it's a it's an important point to make. Um, so staying in the world of VFX, we're getting kind of into the geeky bit. Really, is um, is there a shot 
uh, a, v a VFX shot or, or piece of animation uh, that you would consider to be the best you've ever seen? This doesn't have to be one you've worked on necessarily. The recent uh, Dion film comes to mind. I just remember being so impressed when, when I went to see it in cinema. And maybe because it's because I've never, like, I haven't seen stuff in cinema for so long before that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think they deserve every award that they got. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd agree. But, um, but if you ask me for, like, a particular shot, um, as, a, as a child uh, who grew up in the 80s, um, I remember seeing, like, the first um, cinematic event of, the, of Transformers and just being so impressed about seeing the Autobots transform <laughs> for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if it will stand the test of time if I'll watch it now, but back then I just remember thinking it was so cool. Yeah, to see those kind of shows realized on the big screen. I mean, I grew up in the 80s as well, and the Transformers movies are questionable in terms of narrative for me, but they look incredible. Um, yeah. June, I agree with you, June. Uh, I couldn't pick a, a shot from that, that show, but. And again, maybe it was rose tinted glasses because it, I think I think it was the first non kids film that I've seen at the cinema for about two years. Um, so it wasn't a Pixar film, and um, I, I, yeah, I mean it comes up a lot on the podcast. A lot of people name check it as something you could literally take a still from any sh any point during that film, and you could put it on your wall and, and frame it like it was beautifully made. I thought I completely agree with you. It's a great yeah. shout. And I agree with you because when uh, when I was thinking about that question, all I could think about was like. Pixar animation films and and similar because that's what I've been watching in the last in the last year or so. Um, it probably would have been easier to answer that. <laughs> I, I, tell me about it. I know I've got a lot of a lot of opinions on kids films. I've seen so many now. I've got about eight years worth of uh, of, of trips to the cinema and uh, got a real opinion on what makes a good good kids TV film and uh, and what doesn't. So but I'm not going to get into that now. I'm not in, I'm not I'm not going to break any friendships. Um, <laughs> so. Let's move into, again, we're staying on, on visual effects uh, and animation, but we're talking perhaps about a show, and again, perhaps it's June again, but a show that stands out as a masterclass or a pinnacle of the art form. So what would you consider to be an absolute tour de force of visual effects that you think is the, 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 the reference point for everything that we do? I really liked WandaVision. Um, oh. Have you watched it? It's, yes, um, I have. It's... I mean, the story is incredible. Um, the the acting is outstanding, um, and the VFX work there is is just so good, and it really helps tell a story there that I think otherwise could have not been told. So the the mix between all of these it just made something that I, th I think was very unique, especially to the Marvel universe. Um, mm. I haven't seen anything like that before or after. Um, it's just very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and nobody saw it coming, did they? I mean, I think I remember seeing uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and remember watching that and going, this is a new take on animation. I've not seen anything like this before. And I had the same feeling with WandaVision in that it was completely unique and completely original and uh, a, a real like homage, obviously, to TV of the past. But as a Marvel vehicle, it was completely unexpected, wasn't it? Yeah, and it just kept evolving. I remember seeing the first episode and going like, what? What just happened? I know, right? <laughs> it was literally just that I Love Lucy episode, wasn't it? There was literally yeah. there was no, nothing Marvel about it or whatsoever. And then it started to kind of gradually change, didn't it? Episode by episode. Yeah, yeah. I should probably watch it again. It's probably one of those um, things that when you watch again, you've, you see lots of like clues and yeah. that I missed on the first time. It's not a bad call, you know. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of episodes, but I'm, I'm up for the deep dive if you are, Noga. We'll bring you back for <laughs> part two to break it down for a podcast special. Um, so I want to move into characters, the design. Oh, so I can't get my words out today. Um, character design. So we've talked about, you know, shots and shows, but what would be a great piece of character design or the best piece of character design that you've ever seen? Um, my my first thought was Totoro. Um even though it's not VFX at all, uh, but I'm a yeah, I'm a right. I'm a huge fan of uh, Studio Ghibli. Um, yeah, yeah. May May is a close second if you watched uh, <laughs> if you watched uh, Turning Red. Oh yes, of course. Recently, yeah, yeah. I've got I've got some I've, I've got a view on that film. I'm not going to get into it. It's, it's all really positive. I, I think I need to rewatch it. I watched watched it with my little boy, and um, it was yeah, it was amazing. But just. It's so much happens in the, the second second half. It's uh, 
not going to get into it on the podcast. I'm not educated. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a different, it, <laughs> it's a different podcast. It's, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Studio Ghibli. Yeah, completely get that. I, I've got a lot of catching up still on those movies, but I, I did watch uh, my, my neighbor Totoro, and um, yeah, I think that's a great, a great answer. We've not had uh, Studio uh, Ghibli. Is it Ghibli or Ghibli? I always forget how to pronounce it. Oh, I always pronounce it Ghibli. I'm going with Ghibli too. And we reserve the right on the podcast. You know, we'll I will, I will check. Directed. So we're going to get into the, the kind of the last set of questions now, which is mostly around advice, really. And uh, we, we go in strong with the best piece of advice you've ever received. So uh, my husband always says, um, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. And um, and yeah, I know. Uh, but it's uh, it's something that really sticks with me on on projects because you know, when you manage, you have to be prepared for every outcome. Um, even though I admit I didn't foresee COVID happening in my wildest predictions. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I think just being prepared for that. Um, I like that. I like that. Yeah, it's it's an old classic, but it's uh, classics are the best, aren't they? You know, it's kind of like parental yeah. advice. Yeah. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Completely agree. If you want, I can also give you the worst piece of advice I ever received. Oh, you can do if you want. It's not. In, it's not an official Big Twenty question, but we'll take it. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, I got. Um, if you want to work for the film industry, marry someone rich. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it was a. It was a, a teacher I had. A teacher. Well, that is very questionable advice. Yeah, exactly. But luckily, I wasn't. I didn't listen to him. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. Well, um, I remember my. Sixth form tutor saying you'll get you'll get nowhere without your maths GCSE. That was my advice. After I re I retook it and failed the second time around, so that showed her. Look at me now, <laughs> peak of my career. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, she was probably right. Yeah. So we're into the, the imposter syndrome question now. Again, another favorite question of mine. Have you ever felt out of your depth, or that you're faking it till you make it? Uh, yes. Um... Yeah, what, what you call the imposter syndrome. Um, mm. Most of my life, probably to this day. Um, mm. But uh, I have a, a very good support system uh, around me. Uh, so people remind me when I need it most that, uh, that I'm pretty good at what I do. Need your cheerleader squad behind you. Yeah. <laughs> Go Noga. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're, yeah, absolutely Go Noga. And um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those. Um, questions and on this podcast that nobody ever says i've never suffered from imposter syndrome like everyone we have so many different levels and so many different disciplines represented on the podcast and that includes me as well you know everybody has it and the one thing i've learned and i say it on every episode is it grounds you and it humbles you i think imposter syndrome is a good thing i think it, it stops you believing your own hype and it keeps you goes back to focus goes back to you know always looking to improve I don't know. What do you think? Do you have a view about that? Um, I, I guess I agree. It, just to what extent it controls you. Um, if it's if it's so strong that it prevents you from moving forward, then maybe maybe not. <laughs> but as long as you, you acknowledge it and then you know continue on your path and don't let it stop yeah. you. No, it shouldn't derail you. I completely agree. I think uh, it can be crippling for some. I think that's a really really fair point. So. We're going to go back in time now, Noga. Uh, we've met aliens. Now you're going to get in your DeLorean and you're going to go back and visit your teenage self. And what advice would you give your teenage self if you could go back? I'll say uh, you're doing great. <laughs> Believe in yourself. Do go to England um, and perhaps start working in the VFX industry in the noughties because, yeah, I, I feel like I waited far too long. Uh, I started okay. like I'm 10 years fun. later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could have had, I missed all the parties in the VFX industry. I keep hearing about how wild it was in the noughties, but. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I think I joined the industry too late as well. But yeah, it's cool actually. I mean, you could have worked on some classic VFX, VFX shows like Terminator 2 or something, you know, people part one of those big, or Jurassic Park, or those big, uh, those big milestones in the industry. Yeah, or even just the first Harry Potter film rather than the last. Yeah. Yeah, I could have done all of them. I know, right? I know. Well, maybe maybe we'll, we will invent the technology where you get to go back. But uh, that, that's strong advice. Um, but you had a lot of fun, so that's all that matters, right? That's that's a theme for the podcast: is you're having too much fun. And there's nothing. Yeah, we all need a bit of that as well when we're teenagers. 
So similar question, but different is um, what do you wish you'd known when you were starting out? So is there any knowledge you wish you had rather than advice? Um, well, w when I started, I, um, I didn't have any connections, any industry connections or relationships. So, okay. so I felt like I really needed to sort of prove myself or almost be overqualified uh, before I tried to get my first job. Um, so I, f I felt like I need to be overqualified before I uh, got my first job. And um, so I studied for like five years straight. Um, and I wish someone would just say, you know, just get your foot in the door, just get started yeah, already. Just go for it. Yeah, I, I read that um, this was doing the rounds a lot when we were, I think when we were doing um, the Be Bold, Bold for Change panel back when I was at the mill back in 2017, around when uh, when women apply for jobs, they feel they have to have all of the, the skill set. They have to have every box ticked. Whereas if a man applies, they will take a take a punt. They, they will go for it, even if they've maybe got 60%, 70% of the skills and the rest, they'll take a chance. Do you think there's any truth in that? Absolutely. Unfortunately. Yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? Particularly as you've had to feel that you were overqualified to apply for a job rather than just being qualified, which clearly, you clearly were. Yeah, I guess when, when I was studying, I didn't think that after like five years, I started as a runner, <laughs> you know, I mm. sort of thought that I'll, yeah. uh, I'll get the red carpet um, and just walk uh, to like a senior position. But that's because I didn't have any anyone that was mm. in the industry to explain to me how things were. Yeah, and it goes back to the importance of network that we we talk about a lot on the podcast as well and just in general you know how important it is to build those connections and and have that you like you say that yeah the, that your your cheerleader squad behind you making sure they've kind of got your back and they can they give you the, the advice that you need uh, but yeah, that's fair, uh, fair fair advice and, and fair kind of preemptive knowledge for sure um moving into what i call the big three now we're getting into the uh the, the close nearly closing the vault noga and uh one question is uh, what would you change about the, the industry, the VFX and animation industry, if you had a magic wand. Um, so I think we, we touched on it earlier. So it's the long working hours mentality um, yeah. to, to allow for more work-life balance and um, which I think will promote um, good mental health in the long run. Um, so, so yeah, I feel like I already said what uh, what I wanted to say uh, in, in that uh, and maybe the only thing to, to add is that I hope now that things resume normality and people are going back to work at, at the office again, that this won't go away because it just, it opened the door for, for so many people that otherwise would have probably left the, the industry uh, by now or taken like a different position. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, in, I mean, yeah, we did touch on this earlier. I think we can definitely talk about it a bit more because it is something that, uh, comes up a lot and it was something that we used to talk about an absolute ton pre-pandemic was you know i mean i first-hand experience of the hours people worked on shows pre-pandemic and it we we talked about it on early early versions of the podcast where we talked about uh, mental health in the industry and actually we had uh, uh jasmine katatikon on one of our episodes she's a kind of create creativity coach and she talked about how uh, a lot of her clients um come to her after they've experienced burnout so they almost come to her when they've pretty much left the industry there's this theme where people work on these big big shows and then they almost fall off a bit of a cliff and then they don't return um and uh, that wasn't that long ago and I, I do agree with you i think we are i think in a better position um i'm not saying everything's solved now i think there's still a tendency to work ridiculous hours still um i don't know what, what, what do you think do you think that, that we're on a the right path post-covid or do you think there's a a danger that we'll fall back into old habits now that we're returning to to office spaces um i think the it's a it's a slippery slope uh, because um there's um there's a lot of content out there and uh, there was a lot of hunger for projects um so studios were just like grabbing it um as soon as they could um, and with not enough talent to go around, there's a bit of a gap there. I think if in the long run, if there's more talent, then people won't need to, to work all those long hours. Um, and, um, and with people moving uh, abroad and having this sort of localized rules and regulation might help make something that will work more international. 
uh, across the board. Uh, I think I think a lot of it for me, like uh, the 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 bits I'm struggling with the most is when I work with the lay because they wake up when I'm supposed to wrap up for the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's hard. But I guess that's more for client facing people rather than artists. Yeah, I mean, there's still that fatigue that sets in. I think any any working day, you're only human, right? So, you know, I have it with uh, with with my role is you got you know Montreal and the states and there's Australia and India, and you get to a point where you're in your flow, and then you get to a point in the day where you are just a bit of a shell, really, aren't you? At the end of the day, and it's you know regardless of whether you're client facing or not, there's still a a, a point of fatigue where you need to down tools and spend time with the family and refresh and recharge so it's really important and it's something i don't think we've done with the the subjects of, of long working hours but uh, I, I do hope we're on the right path to uh, that that changing yeah there's definitely more there's definitely more uh, attention to it i can see a lot of companies start to you know to raise that flag now which is great because before it was something you don't really speak about yeah and i think people will vote with their feet won't they people will if they're if they're not happy they will move on uh, particularly as we're going through this great resignation at the moment where people are less i would dare say less connected to studios because of the pandemic you know they're not in the creative spaces as much anymore it's a really interesting one and not one we're going to solve in the the last few few minutes of this podcast episode but uh, i'm sure we'll get you back noga um so last two questions one is the industry advice question one thing we can do as a step towards a more inclusive and diverse industry um, I would say uh, there's actually a few things I would like to say. Um, I think if we have um, affordable kit and software, um, then school age kids can, you know, they find VFX fascinating. So if if it's approachable for them, then they can just experiment with it and you know even start as a as a hobby. You know, a bit like music when you just you know you just get yourself like a secondhand guitar and and start experimenting. Um, but if they have to buy like a really expensive computer and a Houdini license, then you, you're not living. Yeah, it's probably 80% of the school age kids wouldn't be able to do so. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of getting that that kit into schools, isn't it? Right. Ideally. I mean, it's great if you can afford it yourself. But yeah, it's about, I know there's things like Blender and, and I think the Unreal Engine. and um, But yeah, I agree there needs to be more, particularly the... Uh, the 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 staples of the visual effects software yeah um and then i think the other thing that uh, we can do is just to keep shining a light on on diverse talent which is exactly what you're doing on your show i know <laughs> um but you know we just it's just to show the the new generation you know that someone like them is already doing the job and 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 it's, and it's fine um so, you know, speaking to me can in- inspire foreigners who don't know that the VFX is such an, uh, a diverse industry, uh, full of languages and cultures. Um, and it can inspire girls who think that they they have to decide between family and, and career, that they can do both. Yeah, you can manage it. I completely agree. I think it's the, uh, we, we do a lot of work with We Are Stripes and we talk a lot about um, see it, be it. So it's literally about role modeling. And uh, you're right. I mean, uh, this podcast is around, you know, doing our best to role model people in the industry like yourself, Noga, who are able to manage, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, managing being a parent or, you know, could be all kinds of, I mean, there's so many diversity characteristics that we, we showcase and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an important one because there's a lot of assumption about visual effects that is still very, very male and it is to an extent which, and we need to change that. But it's uh, that role modeling is huge. I completely agree with you. Right. Big finish. You ready? Career advice question. Your nugget of advice for anyone trying to get into the industry, Noga. What are you going to leave our listeners with? Um, I would say if you can afford it, then study it before you start. Maybe not five years, uh, but it will it will give you like a broader understanding of the process. So even if you end up in production, knowing how 2D or CG work will make you a better production person, I think. Um, and then one that I'm sure I'm not going to be the first or last to say it is start building a network. Um, you don't have to force befriend people on on LinkedIn, um, but just you know day to day coworkers. You know today's runners and roto artists will become in five ten years managing the industry. So so just keep 
talking to people, keep good relationship. Yeah. I've been, my new thing at the moment is uh, something I read recently, and I've mentioned it on previous podcasts, is you're always one conversation away from changing your life. And I think it's that sums up networking for me because you never know where that one relationship is going to take you or when that's going to come back around. And uh, that opportunity, like you say, could, could present itself further down the line. It's about planting those seeds, isn't it, networking? Yeah, yeah. I can definitely see people that I, when I started um, 12 years ago and I worked with, um, we were all like really juniors, our first years in the industry. And it didn't feel like it was something meaningful back then, those friendships. But but now we're in different facilities. Um, some of them are client side. Some of them are in Netflix. Um and uh, and it's just really interesting to see where people end up being and and how high up and stuff that you don't even think about when you start. Yeah, that's the cool thing, isn't it? I mean, I've worked in a lot of entry level um, programs like apprenticeships and internships, and I'm starting to see the fruits of that now. Having launched, helped launch those careers when folks were 16, 17 years old, and now seeing what they're doing now, it genuinely feels like the next generation of talent. You know, and I think that's really, really exciting. I always like reframing networking away from when I was growing up networking. The cliche was networking events, wasn't it? Where you had to go up to a, a crowd of people and get, just get in on the conversation and shake people's hands. And it was terrifying as an introvert. It used to absolutely terrify me. I'd never know what to say, how to say it, how to introduce myself, how, not, how to not feel like you're interrupting somebody's conversation. I'm being genuinely interested in somebody and actually networking isn't really about that anymore. It's about online connection. It's about working relationships. It's a lot more natural. I find networking It's trying to kind of dispel the myth of what networking really is and what it means. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I definitely remember those events and, <laughs> and how I felt there. Just collect all those business cards. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. Thank God. This is like thing of a past. <laughs> I, know, I know. Right. I think that trees that we cut down for business cards over the years. Brilliant. Well, I should probably leave it on that note then. I'm going to close the vault. Yeah, thank you, Noga. That was great. We covered a lot in, uh, in, a, in a 50 minute, um, the, perfect, the perfect podcast length. We managed to cover the big 20. So thank you so much for making the time, Noga, what is clearly delivery week for you, which is uh, amazing <laughs> that you even found the time. So thank you for doing that, Noga. Thank you for having me, Simon. It was nice to chat to you. Noga, thank you for being a guest on the podcast. You've been great. I'll see you soon. Well, that was episode 17 of the Access VFX podcast. Another great conversation and potentially another t-shirt slogan. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. An oldie but goodie for sure. And yes, it's Studio Ghibli. I was right. Although there's no judgment here on the Access VFX podcast. Before you go, a couple of things. Please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and if you fancy it, leave us a nice review. And most importantly, please get involved with our Foundry-sponsored global e-mentoring program. If you are in the UK, USA, Canada, Australia, or New Zealand, you can sign up for free to get an industry mentor or be a mentor yourself to folks aspiring or just getting started in visual effects animation or games. Go to www.accessvfx.org forward slash mentors and change someone's life. Thank you, Noga, for being brilliant. Thanks to Tom Box for producing it and for the graphics. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Come join me next week where we speak to yet another inspiring member of our community. See you later.